Lord, we thank you, Father, for such an awesome privilege, Lord, to be together today, to enjoy the fellowship with one another, to enjoy the fellowship of your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for the privilege to be able to come and sing, uh, just to express our hearts, Lord, with gratitude and wonder sometimes. Lord, how you, Father, before the foundations of the world had called us to such a time as this, to worship you, Lord, entering into a, a new year, God. We just pray, Lord, uh, as one once, to, once said, give us our marching orders for this new year, Lord. God, we just commit ourselves to you, Lord, and just continue to worship you now in word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, if you would, please uh, um, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. And uh, while uh, you're turning there, I'll challenge you. These poinsettias up here are free. The one who takes the dead plant tells me you have faith that you can resurrect it. So I'll see which, but anyway, with all joking aside, uh, I was given uh, the, the direction to just, uh, they're all available, and if you want them, go ahead and, and take them, uh, they're yours. Matthew chapter 4, you know, before I, I get started here, um, you know, uh, we're, we've been doing this uh, series of study and following the life, the life of Jesus and chronological order and uh and so far um i think we've done a pretty good job at uh following his footsteps uh really nothing out of order later on we'll uh, question that but uh for right now it's a good thing and then uh, preparing for this i started to think well my goodness though we're going into a new year and um you know and i since i'm on these here maybe i could just um you know, do a message on, you know, what it's like to enter into a new year, new beginnings or something, you know. And boy, did I get checked quick by the Holy Spirit. Did you ever, did that ever happen to you guys? And I went, all right, all right, Lord. But then I started to think about this, the, the teaching for today. And I thought, well, this would be a perfect message for the new year. Uh, because it is a message on repentance. And um, boy, aren't you glad for the Holy Spirit, gang? Seriously. I mean, but, but just think of it before, before we go any further. What a message to take into the new year. Because if you think about it, that's where it all began. I mean, that's where it began with you and with me in our walk with Jesus Christ. You know, it, it began before that, yes, indeed. But that was the Holy Spirit convicting you that you needed to repent. So really nothing was in concrete back then until, until you did repent. Amen, guys? And, uh, and the truth of the matter... Um, that, that message today isn't taught on that often anymore. It's a subject that is kind of, well, it's been shunned. It's been actually throughout the modern day Christianity put on the shelf, as it were, because um, maybe because of the history of it, maybe because of the crazy guy standing on the corner with a sandwich board sign, repent or you're going to hell. Now, I think that would turn a lot of people off. Maybe that's one of the reasons, but 
It doesn't have to be viewed that way. Repentance. After studying this, I, I've come to realize, eh, maybe I'd known it, but, but more so, but that's a glorious word. You just think about that. We think of repentance as this horrific message or this message that's doom and gloom. And yet it's not by any stretch of the imagination. In fact, we think of words like grace and love and, and we think about um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit and we get so jazzed. But do you realize that none of that would have been, a, a, none of that would have happened if it wasn't for the first step of repentance? You would have never been saved. You'd have never been baptized. You'd have never been uh, experienced the, the fruits of the Spirit. You would have, you'd still, still be caught in the trespasses of your sin. You would still be wallowing around in the muck and the mire of the world. You would still be without hope. If it wasn't for that one little word, repent. My goodness, what a gift of God. What a gift of God. What a glorious word to have in our vocabulary today. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. There's nothing negative about that whatsoever. Now listen, most of this is really a message for our friends that might still be in the world, family members that might still be in the, wor in the world. But don't kid yourself. That word repent is still applicable even to a Christian. Because when you read the book of Revelation, when he's telling those churches to repent, he's telling churches to repent. And some of the, the, um, the, the outcome, if they don't, is pretty harsh. It is. That is harsh. You repent or I come and remove my, the candlestick from among. I won't walk among you anymore if you don't repent. That's to a church, you know. But, but uh, it'll seem that this message is more geared towards the unbeliever. Um, but, but again, we'll, we'll, we'll make personal applications as we go through it. So turn with me in um, John chapter 4, and we're starting with verse 12. Um, pardon me. Thank you. Jo Thank you, John Leonard, for tape's note there. That was J Matthew 4. It was a test, and John blew it for you. Now, when Jesus had heard that John was cast into prison, he departed into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he came and he dwelt in Capernaum, beautiful little seacoast there, in the borders of Zebulon and in Naphtalim, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, saying, Land of Zebulun and the land of Nephthalim, by the way of the sea beyond Jordan, and notice this wording here, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people which sat in darkness saw a great light. And to them which sat in the region in the shadow of death, light is sprung up. And from that time, Jesus began to preach and said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And all through the gospel, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand is repeated 32 times. Would you stand with me once more with Bible in hand? Let's pray. Father, you said to us that um, your word is inspired. You inspired the men of old to record every word that would come out of your mouth. And Father, we know that what we hold in our hands this morning, God, is something that you have considered um, sacred and holy. 
You have esteemed it above even your own name. And now, Father, it's in our hand. And that, that's a very humbling thing, God. Something that's that precious to you, you have asked us to study, to show ourselves approved. A worker that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we hold in our hands today that God, which will sharpen the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Anoint us to receive it, Father, not not just intellectually, Lord, but spiritually. Let everything that goes into the mind filter down into the heart, God. Let it become part of our beings, God. That if anyone, a brother, a sister, father, family members, friends would ask us why we have this hope, we would be able to share with them the hope that we have found in you. Lord, again, as we just look at this word, repentance. Would you please speak to us how we can apply it personally and how we can apply it to those family members. God, we just want to be used. We want to be that honorable vessel filled with your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name and everyone said together, amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. If I can uh, just quickly go through those verses um, and, and, and kind of take it apart a little bit more for you. Again, Jesus had heard that John was cast into to prison. And John and Jesus knew that this was probably John's final days. He was cast into prison because he was not afraid to tell the, the, the rabbis that they needed to repent. All the religious leaders. He would call them fornicators. He would actually call them um, idolaters. He would even point out even the, the, the public officials. You know and even call them idolaters. And, uh, and as a result of that. Uh, he was then um, uh, captured. He was put into prison. And I, I just I think again. He doesn't go and try to rescue him. He doesn't go and he doesn't try to um, to make rhyme and reason he, uh, in his heart. He just, you know, Jesus knows that this is John's um, course. This is a, 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 the path that John had to be on and he would eventually die a martyr's death. And it tells us that Jesus then was leaving Nazareth and he comes to this little seaport of Capernaum. And I think every time I have traveled to Israel, this is the place where I wish they would just stay a little longer. Have yet anybody been on an Israel Israel tour? Don't they move so fast? Oh my goodness, you're at one place for like 20 minutes, they got you back on the bus, another one back. But I, I remember a time when I was there by myself, and I was able just to sit, and just to think that to the west a little bit, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus kind of making that his headquarters a little bit. The miracles that would happen in the synagogue in which the ruins are still there today. Just love sitting there in Capernaum. You know, so now I should uh, make a commercial. How many? No. <laughs> and then it, again, a fulfillment of scripture spoken by Isaiah, you know, that in the land of Zebulun, the land of Nephthalim, by the way of the sea. And I, I wanted you to notice the Galilee of the Gentiles. Because in the northern part, this is the area in which Jesus is speaking of. That northern part really wasn't dominated by the Gentiles. It still was dominated mostly by the Jews. But there was such a heavy influence of the Gentile um, way of life. Um, uh, their idolatry, all the different idols they would worship dominating in that area. Uh, just that Roman way of living, 
permeated all through that area. And yet, Jesus is singling out not the Jewish people, but he's singling out the Gentile people. There in verse uh, 15. And, and he notes this. He says, the people that sat in darkness saw a great light. Literally, a great light was uh, seen. And them that sat in the region, and, and it can be um, translated that were sitting under or the darkness overshadowed them. So it really does picture the Gentile way of life, you know, in darkness. Uh, and then verse 17, it tell, oh, well, I'm sorry, verse 16, the people that sat in this darkness saw a great light. To them that were in the region, the shadows of death, light has sprung up on them. A light, the, the light dismissed or the light cast away the shadow is another rendering of that verse. For that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, notice, from that time. Now, we know Jesus spoke when he was 12. He told mom and dad, didn't you know it was about my father's business? We know that in, at his baptism, when John sort of kind of um, was rejecting this notion that he was going to baptize the son of God, Jesus then spoke, no, so that scriptures might be fulfilled. You got to baptize me, John. Then at the wedding in Canaan, because we're following, again, this in chronological order, the wedding in Canaan, he wasn't really teaching all that much. He really just said, go fill the water pots. You know, and we can draw lessons out of that, but that wasn't Jesus' message. And then again, we see him speaking to that woman uh, of Samaria. We could say, yeah, that was part of Jesus' teaching ministry, but it really wasn't. He was dialoguing with the disciples a little bit about the whole incident. But really, that, that message, he must needs go to Samaria, through Samaria, that was just a one-on-one -on -one with a Samaritan woman. But now we have here, and according to Matthew's gospel here, it's his first recorded words within his teaching ministry. And that very word is to repent. It's the very first thing he covers in his teaching ministry. You need to repent. And I sometimes think that we, or maybe I shouldn't say we, but there are those who fail to see the importance of this topic or how important it was to Jesus. Today, we kind of look at this word in a negative sense. Some people would even view this subject of repentance as a, a horrible thing, a horrific thing, an ugly thing, you know. Uh, sometimes the world would view it as maybe only those that are cra the crazy people. They need to hear it. I don't. <laughs> you know, or, or maybe some people think that the, the Christians are just way too serious about this thing. It, it, just, it does. You can go to your family and just say, what do you think of the word repentance? And you'll get this kind of, this kind of reaction, you know, because of kind of the overtones of it from the history of it. Um, not, not only does the world view it in such a negative sense, but speaking presently, uh, among the, some uh, today's pastors and theologians, and uh, they've misrepresented this word totally. Some of it, uh, some of them have misrepresented uh, it because it is still, it still comes across as, as somewhat discomforting to hear that word. You know, repent, repent, repent. They'll give you rhyme or reason. You just don't want to go to hell. So repent. And there are others who just uh, take more of a popular stance 
And they'll say, you know, we don't really need to use that word. We can use words like, just do better, you know, and, and things like that. So again, even today, there is this shunning of this subject of repentance that one needs to re- repent. I heard a pastor one time, and he said, let's, let's keep it real. All God wants us to do is to feel good. Really? Man, I missed that boat a long time ago. And I chuckled with it. And then, of course, the rest of the message was just as absurd as, as what he stated there. But the word, God, to feel good, to be, to be perfect, will never be perfect. We know that. But when Jesus was called upon, you know, there is no sense in his tone or studying this subject where you ever see this thing where it needs to be embraced as something horrific or something that's actually ugly. In fact, he considers this according to Mark's gospel. Now, the parallel, we call that synoptic gospel, the parallel to this passage, when it's taught in, listen, when it's taught in Mark, he adds the good news along with it. So repentance is part of the good news. We'll say the good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ, according to Paul. It is even the power unto salvation. And simply the good news news means death, amen, burial, and then resurrection. That's the good news. But there's another part that needs to be added. One has to repent. That's what's so glorious about it. That one can repent, embrace it like a gift, because the Bible even tells us, unless God grants the gift of repentance. Listen, this is where I need to calm down. Unless God grants that individual the gift of repentance, they'll never repent. It's nothing you and I can do. I can't preach it. With, with a, a strong emphasis where somebody will come trembling to the altar. That's not going to happen. If it does, it's a false repentance. It's got to be given to the heart of that individual as a gift of God. God implants that. You know how it looks to? Oh, I'm way ahead of myself. Never mind. Some things that God, people should view... Um, We should view this as a privilege to repent. Not even as it's mandatory. A must. I think there are correct words. But it's a privilege. It's a privilege to see that word and to think, Oh my goodness, I have to do this. Just that one little phrase, I have to do this, is the Holy Spirit of God in that individual's life. That he will turn and he will get off of this path of destruction and be placed in that path of light. So we notice these verses in 12 through 6. Jesus is is preaching to a group again in the northern end of um, the Sea of Galilee. uh, Again, uh, uh, dominated by the influence of of, of uh, the Gentiles and idolatry, the domination of Rome. Listen, a Gentile was simply a non-Jew. But Gentiles were, were, were viewed in Jewish mindset that they were godless, that they were outside of the covenant of God, which means they had no relationship with God. And so verse 16 is clear that these people sat in a great... Well, sat in darkness, but they saw a great light. 
and uh, the light had shined on them. Both, it's, it's, it's true, both is true, that both Gentiles and both Jews lived in that region. And the fact of the matter is, and it's the way God views it to be true, that every person in the entire world that has been um, born into humanity sits uh, in this darkness under the shadow of death. And it doesn't matter how good your life might have been uh, or where you came from. Apart from Christ being our Savior, we fall short, very short, of the life that God has planned for us. Let me say that again. It, apart from Christ being our Savior, we fall short from the life that God has planned for us. We're going to see that when Paul writes to the church in Corinth. Well, what are you saying there? Listen, you can live in this lifestyle still under the shadow of darkness, but God has a whole different plan for you. He's got a plan to put you on a path where light will drive out the darkness, where hopelessness will turn into hope. He's got this glorious plan. It's already established within, within eternity, but the choice is still yours. The choice is yours whether you will turn from the path that you're on, a path that will lead you to distraction. There's nothing wrong with my life. Maybe not. Maybe the way you're viewing it, and it's all nice, and it's fit, and you might, you might have the riches of this world. You might be totally healthy. But there's still a different plan that God has for you. And you need to repent from that path. Why? Why would I? Because those paths that those people are on don't always remain that way. I see some people that are so, they almost feel like their life is a virtue. Just look at me and all that I have. No, those, those, and there's not, they're not sick. They've never had a cold in the day of their a life. And they're just, they're just great people. You just want to be around them and all. But they get so absorbed with self. And they become so selfish, they become so isolated, they're on an island all by themselves, and they're alone. You know why? Because real people can't even relate to them. And unless they repent, they'll live on that, that island of misery with all their wealth and health. God has a different plan for our lives. And Christian, please, let me... You have not reached... That full plan. That full potential. There's so much more that God wants to do in your life. And the day that we figure that, well, we've reached it. I want to say from my heart to yours. You even need to repent of that. There's so much more that God wants to do with you. We go into this new year. Just imagine if we just say, God, I'm on this crazy path. Just thinking that, hey, this is it. There's no more. But God, I know that this path isn't the path you want me on. And you begin to look at God and you begin to inquire of God. What is it you want me to do? What is it what you want me to do in 2018? What is it you want me to do? Because if I stay on this path where I just think I'm okay and you're okay. And why would we want to ever? Then we're not going to be in the will of God. I'm telling you right now. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. How many of us sung that song? You probably sang it in Sunday school. We sang it like it was a hymn in the Jesus people movement. Every day with Jesus is sweeter than the day before. 
Is it? Or is it just mundane? Is it just drudgery to get up, do your Bible study, just figure who you can might lay a track on today so you know you witnessed to somebody? What a boring life. But imagine today, before we go home, thinking that, God, I can just surrender my whole life to you. I can get off of this crazy path, this craziness, and start to follow you in a different light. Fill me afresh with your Holy Spirit. Imagine what your year is going to look like, thinking that every morning is different. Can I ask you to raise your hand if that just rings a bell? Wouldn't it just be the grandest thing to think that every day is going to be different with Jesus? That it doesn't have to be the same. Imagine you're secure in your job and you're making your figures, whatever that is. And you're so and all of a sudden God says, can I interrupt your life? Sure, Lord, whatever you want. I want you to give it all up. I want you to come follow me. Well, I do follow you. No, I want you to be a missionary. Say what? I want you to just get rid of all the things that you're, you're so hanging on to. And I want you to pick up your cross, die to that. Come, wait for you. Wait till you see the plans I got for you. That to me is a Christian life. That's an exciting life. Just keep your ears open to what God has for you. God wants to do something. I have a person, he's even here today, that just got up and moved everything to where he knew God wanted him. And when I asked him how he felt about it, he goes, it was the best thing I've ever done. And they're stoked. Yeah, according to Matthew and his words here, those that sat under that covering of darkness... Those that were so polluted with all their idolatry, light sprung up. God's invitation to them to have a a personal relationship with him. To escape the darkness of light. I mean, pardon me. To escape the darkness of, of a life that's dominated by sin. To escape hopelessness. To escape that shadow of death. And there are some people just like that. They're nothing but doom and gloom. How you do it? Oh, this week. Oh, my goodness. Oh, we call them Eeyore Christians. Can we just find a, just something small? Something that God's done this week. I don't know. Let me think about it, Pastor. No, no. It doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't. It's how you view it. It's how you look at life. Either look at life that God's got this or you've got it. One or the other, you got it, you're not going to see too much of God in it. But if God's got it and you surrender your life as an instrument of righteousness unto him, my goodness, what, what's pro- the possibilities are off the chart. If you just like God, let him do it. The day that God asked me to quit my job and go to Bible school, it doesn't seem... Like a much, because Armin and I, we, ne- we didn't have any mu- that much to begin with. But I remember when I just said, I was, I can tell you where I was. <laughs> I was laying under a 1936 Packer. I was, I was, rest- I was at work. And I remember God telling me to quit it all and go to Bible school. 
And I went home, and that's exactly what we did. And what a, what that, what a blessing it was to just be obedient. Listen, it's a privilege. It's a privilege just to surrender our lives. It's not a disservice. It's not something where we have to feel that this is a mandatory thing. For them to just want to sit under this darkness, under this, this shadow of death and do nothing about it would be just foolishness. You know, what is really repentance? Well, the word uh, metanoia is the Greek word. It's funny. The Greek metanoia means a changing of mind which causes a change in direction. That's the simplest way to put it. A change of mind which ultimately will cause a change of direction. In the, in the Hebrew, though, the Old Testament reading in, in the Hebrew, the word is nokam, N-O-C-H-A-M. It's nokam. And that literally means just to be sorry. That's something Judas Iscariot experienced when it says he repented. He was just, he was just sorry. But there was this little guy by the name of Zacchaeus. He was short in stature. He's a small little guy. I'll tell you who he reminds me of. Well, we got a lot of short peoples. Don't pick on Jerry. But, <laughs> but I remember this guy. He's in a tree, right? Because he couldn't see over the heads of everyone. You've got to see this to be somewhat humorous. Oh, man, and when Jesus walks under the tree and he gets a load of Zacchaeus, I think he's even laughing. Zacchaeus, what are you doing up there? Come on, I'm going to go home with you. you you're going to have a one-on-one with me at your house. You're going to cook me something to eat. And they go to his house. And then when Zacchaeus got a hold of what Jesus was doing, we saw a different kind of repentance than Judas Iscariot. See, Zacchaeus, man, he was a, he was a thief, He'd overcharge you just as quick as you could blink an eye. And he said this to Jesus. He said, Jesus, if I have stolen anything, I'm going to return it back to him plus sevenfold more. I'm going to make it all right. See, that's a change of mind. But now Zacchaeus is changing in a different direction. Now, that's, that's applicable to an unbeliever. He has a change of mind. He knows the path that he is on will lead him destruction. His mind then changes. And with that change, this, this metanoia, now he is changing in a different direction. He's on a different path of life. He sees things. He's not perfect. John tells us no one can be perfect. But my goodness, he is heading in the right direction. He sees God in a different view. He, he sees sin differently. He sees righteousness. He thinks about heaven more. He just wants to know what God's will is. He's not on a path that leads to darkness where he could, couldn't care and to hoots. That's why we can safely say, and I've got to wrap this up soon. This is why we can safely say that anyone who embraces, that's important to hear, who embraces a habitual lifestyle. Not that there's a habitual lifestyle and they hate it. One who embraces it says, God made me this way. And I'm going to live that way. Oh, but I've said, and I said the sinner's prayer. According to Jesus and according to Paul the apostle, that one never really truly repented. 
He might have been sorry. No chem, N-O-C-H-A-M. But he's never, never metanoia. He's never changed his lifestyle. He is still living in the debauchery of his lifestyle. There's not, there's, there's, it doesn't even bother him. And listen, please, and I'll try not to get too excited about it. This is what's so wrong with this new movement about going into a bar to have a Bible study. God's taking us out of that, people. No way should we be sitting around a, in a bar room having a Bible study because we want to get closer to the people. That was the Gentiles of the Galilee. And God said, no, that's sitting under the shadow of darkness. But a light has shone. And now I call all men to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. That's what repentance is. How do I know that I am truly that I truly, it's just my life starts to line up with the word of God. It just starts to line up. Not, not because I'm try, forcing my way to do it. Not that I'm beating myself into submission. That's old Catholicism to try to go up the cathedral steps on glass or to whip yourself with back. And it's just not Catholicism. It's all over the place. If I can just hurt myself more, then I'll be right with God. That's not repentance. Repentance is humility. It's looking at the word and going, what a privilege. What an act of grace that I can just change the way I think and put my, my, my mind on that path. It might be narrow. It might be hard. It might be difficult. But it's God that works in you to do his will and good pleasure. It's God that does it. Would you stand with me this morning? Rich, if you'll make your way out. Listen, I just want to fit, end with this verse here. And again, I just want to encourage you, please. I, I'm really going to make this a real strong part of our services. Um, but at the end of the service, if there's any need that you have for prayer, um, don't rip yourself off by just leaving quickly. Prayer team is here. They're always here. They're always going to be up front. There's always an elder around and pastors around. Just don't leave without someone praying for you. You might go, you know what, Harry? I am a Christian. I have no doubt. Oh, I need to share one other thing with you. But I have no doubt. But I know the path I'm on right now is not the path God wants me on. Well, then I would say, Embrace the privilege to repent. Just embrace it. And ask God. Come up. Find somebody to pray with. Ask God to say, God, listen, I know it's wrong. There's my change of mind. Now I want to change a direction. And I need your Holy Spirit to do this. Because I can't do it on my own. Listen, I want to read this to you. I wish we had more time. For it is God that works in you both to will and to do it of his good pleasure. It's God working in you is the interpretation. And it's God who's giving you the desire to repent. You didn't walk up here on your own. If you're toying with the idea right now that you are not on the right path, that's the Holy Spirit. And as your pastor, friend, or wherever, however, whatever title you want to give me, I'm asking you with all my heart, don't walk away from that. Come. Pray. Because you'll continue on this crazy path that ultimately will take you to destruction. But this is what he says. 
Giving thanks unto God which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. He says this. Who's delivered us from the power of darkness. He's translated us into the light of his dear son. That only means he's rescued us. Why would we want to stay on a path that leads to destruction if he's truly uh, rescued us? In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sin, who is the uh, image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every, of every creature. Listen, it all starts, if you're here today and you don't know who he is or what I'm even, you know your heart is being stirred, it starts with receiving Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's where it starts. That's where it starts. That's where the change of mind comes into play. That's where you start to realize there's a different path that I need to be on. And that's where you just ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Amen, people? Well, I didn't. Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for this time. And we thank you for your word. And I thank you so much for the body of Christ brothers and sisters I thank you that we're all on the same ground here God Jude says it's a common ground we all have to come to the cross thank you for the cross thank you Father your very first message repent the kingdom of God is at hand Lord and I know you walk in our midst today I know you you walk among the candlesticks. And the one thing that we want, Lord, with all of our hearts is that you will continue to walk in our midst. That if you lay on our hearts that we need to repent, that we'll come to that place and we'll change our minds the way we think. And we'll ask that your Holy Spirit will put us on a path, your will, Man, the the path of destruction is broad, man. That gate is wide open for that, Lord. But we want to enter in the narrow gate. We want to be on that narrow path. And it might be hard sometimes. But it is you that works in us. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said together, amen. If you need prayer, please, people, come down.